Welcome to the Ark Church Podcast. On here, you'll find all of our Sunday and Wednesday messages, as well as classes and special services. If you would like more information about the Ark Church, visit us at thearkchurch.com or download our app available to all app stores. Our heart for you is that you would live for God, grow stronger, and make a difference. Enjoy. A little lady came home from church. She was elderly. She got home from church after, after a uh, Wednesday night service. And she noticed that her front door was, was ajar, it was broken into. And uh, so with a lot of fear and trepidation, she, she actually had the 911 on the phone when she walked into the house. She saw a man holding her television walking across her living room. She didn't know what to do. She didn't have a weapon. And so she just called out, Stop thief, Acts 238. Well, Acts 2.38 is a scripture verse that said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. That's all she knew to do. But to her surprise, he stopped right there in the middle of the living room. He didn't move a muscle. When the police came, they, they took him, they handcuffed him. And as they were walking him to the car, one of the officers said, he said, man, what is your problem? All that little old lady did was holler a scripture out at you. He said, scripture? She said she had an ax in 238. <laughs> Have you ever heard the phrase perception is reality? <laughs> this morning I want to talk about, we talk about transformation. Transformation is a change from the inside out. And I'll talk about changing how we see things, how we see life, how we see ourselves, how we see God. Because our perception oftentimes is not accurate and needs to change. When you think about it, Perception is so key in your perspective. Uh, take failure, for example. Some people avoid failure like it's, it's the absolute plague. Some people actually take failure, they learn from it, lean into it. Self-esteem is another one. It's a whole perspective thing. A little girl in children's church, she was coloring and she had her tongue out. She's about five years old. She had her tongue out and she was very intent. And her, her teacher came and said, sweetheart, what, what are you drawing? She said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher said, well, darling, uh, no one knows what God looks like. She never looked up. She's kept drawing. She said, they will when I'm done. <laughs> now, we would call that high self-esteem. Uh, self-esteem, how you, how you see yourself, how you perceive yourself. Here's something that's interesting. There's actually a book. Uh, I haven't read the whole thing. Don't know that I can recommend it, but I can recommend parts of it. It's called Doing Hard Things. And it said that during the 80s and 90s, one of the biggest changes took place, especially in education, as we worked with our kids, was building the self-esteem of our young people. And so you begin to hear phrases around schools like, if you believe anything is possible. And we thought the whole key is building their self-esteem. And so a lot of affirmation, a lot of praise, ribbons, that's where we got the you know, participation trophies came from that. Everyone who played gets a trophy. And the idea was if we can build the self-esteem of these young people, it can keep them out of drugs, it can keep them out of uh, wrong relationships, it can keep them in, out of crime, building self-esteem. And that was looked at as the whole thing. That's, that's it. Now they've done data and what they said, a lot of the data that they based this on was not even accurate. Because what they found out is, and, and by the way, parents, this is for you, self-esteem is not built merely on words of affirmation, it's built on overcoming challenges and adversity. And so, you know, and I, and I realized where it went to both uh, all my kids were raised in the 90s and uh, 80s and 90s in school. And it was a lot of, of building their self-esteem and everyone's awesome, everything is great. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with those encouraging words. 
but we're encouraging them so that they will face adversity and face challenges because self-esteem is a byproduct of overcoming adversity. Self-esteem itself is not the goal. This is where you see parents who try to mow down, you know, the new phrase is lawnmower parents. They try to mow down every bit of failure because we don't want our kids to fail. Well, I understand that. I don't want my kids to fail. But facing challenges is how they become confident and how we build self-esteem. This never goes over big. didn't go over big in the first service. But yet, it's, it's really important that you understand our kids have to face challenges. And while they're under your roof, is the best time to do it so you can help them overcome and face adversity. It builds their self-esteem. Your perception of yourself is a part of that. Then also how you see God. Do you see God as someone who wants to hurt you or someone who wants to help you? Do you see God as maybe from a product of your background and upbringing that God's just waiting for you to make a mistake so he can swat you or waiting for you to make a mistake so he can punish you? Or do you see God as truly good? How do you see him? And that's important. And so one of the things we've been talking about is transformation. How do we begin to change our perception? How do we change how we view things? And in Romans here, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That means a renewal from the inside out by the renewing of your mind. Not your brain, but your mind, your mindset, your perspective, your attitude, your perspective, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So it's how we see life. It's how we see ourselves. It's how we see God. And God's word has the ability to actually alter how we see things. It changes our, pers our perspective. It changes our perception of things. And that's so vital. We need to be able to do that. That's why Paul said, don't be conformed here. Don't be molded like the world. He said, be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And uh, a couple years ago, I read about a woman by the name of Willie Murphy. Willie is 82 years old. She lives in Rochester, New York. And one night she was awakened to the sound of a man pounding on her door and demanding to get in. Willie got up. She heard him pounding on the door. She went and called 911. And as she was calling 911, the man broke into her house. Willie said she felt bad. But she felt bad for the intruder. Willie, 82 years old, is a champion bodybuilder and power lifter from Rochester. And Willie took a table, picked up a table, not a candlestick, a table, and hid in the darkness. And when this intruder came by, she waylaid this guy with the table and beat him with the table till she broke the table. And when she broke the table, he's lying on the ground. She went in the kitchen, found Johnson's baby shampoo, poured it all in his eyes and blinded him, then was beating him with a broomstick when the police came. When the police came, they, they, they took him and hauled him out, but they didn't even put him in, in, the, in the police vehicle. They put him in ambulance. ambulance. That lady just beat this man up. And she said, she said, she, you know, when I heard this story, I thought, I, I looked her up. I was expecting to see, you know, a big woman. She's little. She's like tiny. She might weigh 100 pounds. She said, she said, he picked the wrong house to break into. She said, I'm, I'm old, but I'm strong. She's like flexing her muscles in there. She deadlifts 225. This woman is stout. And, but I, it's her attitude. I'm looking at how many people, when someone breaks in, they're thinking, I feel bad for them. Most, 
Most 82-year-olds are hiding underneath the bed. She's beating this guy up to the place. He, he was glad the police came. They brought him some relief. <laughs> it will say, what's that got to do with anything? Because that's a different mindset. And when your mindset, when you begin to get God's mindset of you, instead of running from all the problems in life, instead of thinking everything is bigger than me, you begin to get this mindset as that problem should never mess with me because I'm going to overcome this situation. And if God is for me, who can be against me? And it gives you a different mindset. That's renewing the mind. Our perception of ourself and of God can change. It can change for the better. Now, I'm going to give you a guy in the Bible who's one of my favorite stories because of the progression that he makes. He doesn't start off good. His name is Gideon. He is in Israel when Israel had abandoned God for a number of years. And every time Israel walked away from God, it opens the door to the enemy. And a group called the Midianites have come in and just wiped them out. They take their livestock. They take their, their food. And so Israel has just been just impoverished by the Midianites and they cry out to God and God sends help and an angel comes to a man named Gideon who's hiding in the wine press. It said, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our father told us about saying, did the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my father's house. When the angel appeared to him, Gideon did not have a good perception of himself. And so the angel said, he said, greetings, mighty man of valor. Listen, God saw Gideon different from how Gideon saw himself. God saw a mighty man of valor and God is not sarcastic. God didn't go mighty man of valor. And God, he, the angel said, you're a mighty man of valor. But Gideon couldn't get there. His view of himself was, no, no, no. I'm the weakest. I'm the least. My family I got the worst family. We're from the other side of the tracks and I'm the, I'm the least in my family. His perception of himself was so weak. He's missing the whole point that God said, I'll be with you and you're going to deliver Israel. But he couldn't see it. When we talk about perception, the ability to see it, he couldn't see it. And he was just so caught up in how weak he was and how weak his family was and they didn't have any influence. Completely missed how God's talking to him. You see, one of the reasons you want to get strong in your perception of who you are is so you can do what God's called you to do. So he, he couldn't see it. God wanted him to deliver Israel, and he wasn't there. In fact, he, he didn't even know if it was an angel of the Lord. He said, if it's really you, he said, show me a sign. So he comes back with an offering. And Gideon comes back, and he brings an offering to the Lord. And it's a, it's a goat and, and some bread, and he puts it on a rock, pours broth on it. And the angel reaches out his staff and touches the offering and fire comes up from the rock and just consumes the whole offering. You would think Gideon would be pretty pumped up about that. He was not. Look what happens. Now Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God. We don't say alas now. We might say, OMG. 
I have seen, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear, you shall not die. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. Actually in Hebrew it says Jehovah Shalom. To this day, it is still in Ophrah of the Abizarites. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, tear down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the wooden image that's beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But look at this. But because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it at night. Now this is why I love this story. Because here's the guy that God determined is going to be the deliverer of Israel and he can't even face his, his father's household. He does it at night. But here's something we see in Gideon. His perception of God was off. We read that first, that first part of the scripture that we read. Remember where it said, he said, why has the Lord forsaken us? And why has the Lord caused all this? He thought God was the source of his misery. And then when he realized it was an angel of the Lord, he said, oh my, he said, oh my Lord, I've seen an angel of the Lord. He thought God wanted to kill him. So his whole view of God was, God's trying to hurt me. And God had to speak to him, but he gave him a revelation. He said, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. And it said right there, Gideon had a revelation. God is peace. The Lord is peace. That revelation began to change his perception. Revelation always changes our perception. When we begin to see, we're like, oh, God's not trying to hurt me. God's for me. That made a difference in Gideon because that night, he did what God asked him to do. So what did he do? He took down the problem. The problem was his dad had an altar to Baal in the backyard, right next to the gazebo, right by the grill. There's the ba there's an altar of Baal and an image, a wooden image, an idol right there in his own family. He said, take it down, chop it up, burn it down, build an altar to God. And that's exactly what Gideon did because he was afraid to do it in the daytime. He did it at night, but he did it. He made a step. And don't miss that. Sometimes people say, well, I, I just can't see myself doing this. Hey, can you make a step? That's what Gideon did. Maybe we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about his story later, but there's some real key things here. Transformation comes when we begin to change our perception. Here's the thing, is when we begin to close the gap between how we see ourselves and what God sees of us. And we begin to close that gap. You say, well, Alan, how do, I, how do I even close that gap? Well, the first thing we begin to do is we need to find out what God has said about us. Now, here's the thing. Some people think, well, you know, I got saved. I'm glad I'm saved. I got religion. You didn't get religion. You have a relationship with the Lord. And so this is something where not only did you have a relationship with the Lord, you've been changed. You are a new creation. Spiritually, you are a new creation. And so God says some things about us when we made Jesus our Lord. God didn't say, well, there they are. They're a mess, but one day they'll be with me in heaven. No, he's done something in us. 
And we begin to read, in the, especially in the epistles, in Romans and Galatians and Colossians, and you begin to read those and you begin to realize he, God has accepted us. He has forgiven us. He has redeemed us. We're called, we're called his worksmanship, his creation, his masterpiece. We're more than conquerors. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And God says some amazing things. Look what it says here in 1 Peter. Peter said, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What he's done with us. You say, well, Alan, that, that doesn't seem to be true. No, because you got a gap there between how you see yourself and how, what God says about you. So the idea is we want to start closing that gap. How? We begin to find out what God has said. We begin to think that way. We begin to talk that way. It is okay for you before you go to bed at night to look at yourself in the mirror and go, hello, highly favored one of God. And you may feel like, well, you just lied. Not if God already said it, you're closing the gap. And that will make such a difference in your life because people right now are looking for a sense of identity and their identity is all over the map. But God, when you base your identity on spiritual truth, it's the most stable and calm and strong identity that you're going to have. Now, I'm, many of you know this story, but I'm going, to, I, I, I'm going to repeat it again because it's so important. Five years ago, I was, on my, I was in my car at night. I was going to work out, and I get a call, and my mom's name pops up on my screen in my car. Now, my mom didn't call a lot. My, my dad at this time was really going downhill. Both of my parents are in heaven now. And so mom calls me. And so I answer the, answer the phone. I said, hey, mom. She said, hey, honey. She said, hey, honey. She said, do you, have, do you have a moment? I said, sure. She said, I have something to tell you. It sounded ominous. I'm like, oh, my gosh. She, she's, I know she's in a nursing home. I'm like, mom, if you had a, an affair, I am going to be so ticked off at you. <laughs> Because it, it had that sound like, i got something to tell you, and it's horrible. And so I'm like, okay, Mom, what is it? I'm like, what, are, what is my 80-some-year-old mother going to tell me? And she said, well, honey, she said, your father and I, we tried to have children, and we couldn't have children. Your dad was not able to have children. Well, here I am. <laughs> I said, and? She said, so there was a doctor there in Atlanta, Georgia, who's doing artificial insemination. She said, and now you have to understand, guys, this is 1958. And this procedure was only about 10 years old. It was rare and it's actually controversial. Some people called it adultery by doctor. And so my, my parents did it and I was caught first take. Boom. I said, I said, so mom, what you're telling me is my father is not my biological father. She said, no, honey, he's not. And I said, okay, well, thank you for telling me that because it made a whole lot of sense because we had done DNA testing about a year before that and I showed up 50% Jewish. <laughs> I thought I was English and German. Clayton's a very English name. I, I said, okay. So I hung up the phone and I, I remember I called Joy directly. I said, I'm more special than you are. I, uh, <laughs> I am, and evidently my ancestors come from the Ukraine 
and they came, they, they left the Ukraine during some of the pogroms years ago to escape the persecution. And actually my family name is Yarmolinsky. I am so glad I'm a Clayton, I really am. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but Yarmolinsky, and, and so when I tell that to people, people say, look at me, they're like, how did you handle it? I said, it was no problem whatsoever. It didn't bother me. I didn't wake up in the night going, who is my father? I did, it did not bother me. Why? Because over the years, I've been able to close the gap. And I wasn't so concerned about being the son of Richard Clayton. I know I'm a son of the living God. And the, and my heavenly father is that. And so, because my identity was there, it did not rattle me as much. So that, this is what I'm trying to say. This is where we need to, with our children, with ourselves, begin to build our identities about what God has said about us. Because we want to be able to do the next thing, and that's to take steps toward God. So we mean steps toward God. Gideon tore down the altar and built an altar to God. Making steps toward God. What do you mean? Well, I think the best thing to do is, the way I look at it, if there's something in your life right now that you're doing that's hurting your walk with the Lord, Stop doing it. Tear it down. If there's something that you know would help you, start doing it. So take down what's hurting you. Start doing what's helping you. For example, if you're a once a month or you come on once a month, double up. Come twice. If you've never read your Bible, start reading your Bible. That's where people go, oh, you know, Alan, I don't know about reading your Bible. Okay. Joy's mom is, uh, she was here first service. Joy's mom's 93. She has a sister named Mary who's 91. Joy's going to be with us a long time. She ain't going anywhere. Her sister Mary is a pistol. I mean, this woman is spicy. They're, they're, they were the first generation born in America, 100% Italian. They know, oh man, it's so Italian. Mary would come over to our house and she started talking. I'm like, whoa, whoa, language. It's like... You know, you can't believe it. 91 years old and some of the stuff that comes out of her mouth. I'm like, oh, dear Lord, Mary, Mary, give, it, give me a break. But this year, Mary decided that she just felt impressed. She's going to start reading her Bible. 91. And she called Joy. She told Joy. She said, Joy, she said, I love reading my Bible. She said, I sit out on the porch. She lives in, in, in L.A. She said, that's, Louis, that's not Louisiana. It's, uh, it's she... she it's Los Angeles, and she lives there. She, she sits out on her porch. She reads her Bible. She says, sometimes I don't want to stop reading it. I'm just enjoying the Bible so much. She started in Genesis. She, she told Joy, she said, you know what, Joy? There is sex in the Bible. <laughs> I told Joy, I said, figures Mary would find it. I mean, I, that she's, <laughs> that's the one. But here's my point. Mary, Mary dropped out of high school to help support her family when she was about 15, 16 years old. Mary had never been highly educated. Mary started reading her Bible at 91. It's not about the excuses we can make. It's about what's in our heart. Can you do something that makes a move towards God? You can do that. It's a heart thing. So we're closing the gap in our perception of how we see ourselves. We're taking steps toward God. And then we're, we're beginning to close the gap in our perception of how we see the Lord. How we see God. Some people see God and it's such a fearful, God's going to get me situation. I, I see people that come in church sometimes 
you know, and they talk all kinds of ways outside of church, but as soon as they come in church, they're like, God can see me in here. He actually can see you out there. <laughs> but they have this, I've got to be quiet because God, you know, God's going to, listen, God's not looking to hurt you. He is still Jehovah peace. He is still Jehovah that wants a relationship with you. He is not disinterested in you. He is the God who is on your side. And he's done such a wonderful thing in you. I love this, this verse here where it talks about our good God. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? whom you have from God, and you're not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The thing I love about that is God loved us enough to buy us back. He loved us enough to buy us back, and not only buy us back, but to make us his home, where he would come and live in us. Boy, that's such dignity. That is such value. That's better than anything the world has to offer, that we can be a temple of the Holy Spirit of God that God can live in us. What a wonderful thing. We got a God who's really, really, really good. In Russia, in the mid-1800s all the way up to early 1900s, uh, Russia was imploding on itself and with the czars. And there was a lot of, of uh, in their cities, it was rampant. There was a, one city called, I think, Kronostat, Russia. And the, the, in the streets, of, there were... There was crime was rampant, alcoholism was rampant, prostitution. Uh, it, just, it was just a horrible place. In fact, it was so bad that a lot of the clergy at that time wouldn't even venture into the meanest streets. But there was one clergyman by the name of Father John Seraph. And Father John Seraph every day would put on his robe and he would go to the meanest parts of the streets. He would go where the prostitutes were and the, and the addicts were and the predators, and the criminals, and the widows, and the orphans. It would go into these mean parts of the streets, and sometimes he would find someone who was just in a horrible condition, maybe lying in a gutter, maybe a young lady standing on a corner. And he would take their hand, their, their chin in his big hand, so they would look him directly in the eye. He would look at them and he would say, You're, this is beneath you. Talking about how they were living. He said, this is beneath you. He said, you were made to house the glory of the living God. They said, wherever this man went, revival followed because he communicated God's love and God's worth to people. You were meant to house the glory of the living God. Why does God want our perception of ourselves to be like his? Why does he want our perception of him to be closer to who he is? Because he's got stuff for us to do to represent him. And he wants us to be able, and if we're going, no, I can't, no, I can't, I'm just this, I'm weak, I'm weak, I'm weak. He's going, no, I just made you more than a conqueror. I made you my child. And I'm living in you by my spirit. That's a big thing. That's a great thing. That's something the world needs. And you got it. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. This morning, if you're saying, you know, Alan, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. I know that. He knows that. Or maybe you're like I was. Maybe I was years ago where I had a relationship with the Lord and I walked away from him. And you're saying this morning, hey, I'm, I'm not where I should be with God. I know that. He knows that. We're going to say a prayer. I'm not going to have you stand up or come to the front. But right now, sitting right where you are or watching online, this is an opportunity. You were meant for better. You were meant to house the glory of the living God. 
Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If that's you that I'm talking to, you just say, Alan, I've been away from God or I'll, I want to come back to him. Would you pray for me real quickly? Slip your hand up just across the auditorium. Say, that's me. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for your courage. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. You know, it takes courage to do that. It also takes humility. Good for you. But maybe you didn't do that. You're thinking, oh, I missed it. No, this is a heart prayer. We're going to pray it with you as a church family. You're watching online, pray it with us. If you're by yourself, pray it out loud. If you're with others, you can pray it quietly. If you're here in the auditorium, we're going to pray it with you as a church family. So pray this prayer with me. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, head still bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer those who stepped out of spiritual darkness back into the light and for those who've come back home. Father, we rejoice with them and for all of us. Father, thank you for what you say about us, for what you reveal about yourself and your word. Thank you we can connect with that. Thank you we can close the gap. Thank you we can do all that you've called us to do because you're with us. So we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message has blessed you. Don't forget to check us out on all the social platforms. We're uploading encouraging content on a regular basis. For more information, go to thearcchurch.com. Have a great week.